Though I hope at some point you will. If you've been like me this week, I didn't listen to the whole book of Genesis. I listened to the first 11 chapters. Part of that is because the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are a little bit special. They actually sound a little bit different. And you may notice that if you read through or if you listen through to the book of Genesis, if you listen to it, it kind of sounds different. It reads a little bit different after the first 11 chapters. That is not wrong. I believe that that was a literary device of the author Moses, as we know him to be. I believe that was a literary device bringing them into learning how to listen to this. All of that in mind, there's patterns to this. And in the book of Genesis, we must remember, was first written to a primary audience. It didn't first come down to us. It had an original audience. And that original audience, surely some of it would have been, this would have been a story that was told over multiple hundreds of years. And ultimately, until Moses was the one to pin it down. So it was probably something that if you read this in Hebrew, you're going to hear a little bit of a of a poetic structure to it. And there are some literary devices in play that help us to remember what's going on, especially if you were a Hebrew reader. That was in order for the stories to be passed down from one generation unto the next generation. But of course, Moses is the first one to write it down. So you and I, when we look to the book of Genesis and, and we begin to try to understand it, it may be helpful for us to think about that first audience about the first audience being those that were likely the children of Israel as they were about to, as they were in the land of wilderness, as they were in the area of wilderness waiting to go into the promised land. It is a book that is read rightly in the understanding of the promised land is where we're headed. I am bound for that promised land. Maybe we should have sung that one this morning. I didn't think about that one. That would have been a great one, but I am bound for that promised land is something that we need to be mindful of as we're working our way through the book of Genesis together. But of course, I ask if you would to focus on the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Lord willing, we'll spend a season in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And as you may well know, we'll probably take a break. That'll lead us probably close up to Christmas sometime. I don't know how the Lord's going to work through all of this. But I imagine we're going to take a little bit of a break at about Christmas time, maybe into the first of the year, whatever the case may be, before we go into the rest of it. So for this season, if you can, help us be reading through the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. We're going to keep that tally back there. We'll actually keep the tally for all of the book of Genesis. We'll keep it all together. Uh, I know that there was one crew that had 55. One crew looks like somebody had put down 11. So somebody read through the entire book or the entire 11 chapters one good time. So whatever you're doing, try to help us keep up. And as we did with the book of Galatians, help us to read through the water and let the water of the word wash us and cleanse us day in and day out. But this morning, again, we find ourselves in the book of Genesis. And though we're not going to read the entire first 11 chapters even, we are going to read through about chapter 5 because there's a feel of it that we want to get in reading this together. This is going to take a minute, but let us read together the first five chapters of the book of Genesis and let us hear and pay attention to the structure and to the rhythms and to the rhymes of it, as it were, of the scripture here. Let us begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. 
And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb, yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven, and to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and every cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, over the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given, un I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning 
were the sixth day. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heaven, made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and, be and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, there, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Bedlam, the onyx stone. There, the name of the second river is Gihon, and the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekel, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground of the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help me for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and he shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband and her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And I, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. But I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Verse 19. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return to unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And the Lord said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Chapter 4. And Adam knew his wife, and, and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. 
and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Verse 9, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from the face and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mahuel, and Mahuel begat Methusel, and Methusel begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bare Jabel, and was the father, he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubalcane, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, saith she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Chapter 5, bear with us as we mess up most of these names. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were eight hundred years and he begat sons and daughters. 
and all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalel. And Canaan lived after he begat Mahalel 840 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. And Mahalel lived 65 years and begat Jared. And Mahalel lived after he begat Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalel were 890 and five years, and he died. And Jared lived an hundred sixty and two years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch eight hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were nine hundred sixty and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred and sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived an hundred eighty and seven years, and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech seven hundred eighty and two years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And Lamech lived in 180 and two years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah, five hundred ninety and five years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were seven hundred seventy and seven years, and he died. And Noah was five hundred years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the precious reading of your word in every time that we have the opportunity to do so, God. Father, may we never take it lightly what it is simply to hear and to listen to your word, O oh God. Father, may it continually soak into our hearing. May it continually soak into who we are, that it is changing us and transforming us, God, that we're not only hearers of this word, but that we're doers of the word. And God, we, we confess that when we get into narrative passages here, sometimes we're not always sure what to do with it, O oh God. Father, even still, we pray that as we walk through this blessed narrative book together, O oh God, Father, that you would take your spirit and graft in us that which is supposed to be, that truly we will bring forth fruit in due season, O oh God. Father, that you would get all the honor and all the glory to your high and holy name. We pray that it would draw somebody to repent and trust in you and in you alone for the first time, that they may be born again. For those of us that are born again, O oh God, Father, we pray to maintain that life of repentance and trusting in you alone. We pray it all in thy Son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. So quite a lot of reading. Obviously, we didn't read all 11 chapters. And I said, would you all study 11 chapters? So there's a little bit of work that we've got to do in between here. But if you notice, there's something in the book of Genesis that keeps occurring that kind of keys you in on how am I supposed to read the book of Genesis? And that's a good thing to know. How are we supposed to read the Bible? I got to college 
and uh, there was a fancy book. They said ways of reading. And I'm like, there's different ways to read. And they're like, yeah, there's good ways and there's bad ways. And you might as well be a good reader if you're going to be reading. So I submit to you that if the world can figure that out that much, you and I, as the children of God, ought to be able to come to the word of God and understand there's a way that we need to read it. And here it seems to me that if you'll notice, he keeps bringing these genealogies into it. He says in the first couple of chapters, he said, these are the genealogies of God and the creation of the heaven and the earth. And then he says, these are the generations of Cain. These are the generations of Adam. And as you'll find out in the rest of the book, he's going to say, these are the generations of Noah. He's going to continue repeating himself. And it's amazing to me that not only is it in the book of Genesis, but there's also in the book of Matthew, that the New Testament, the way that it is arranged is in that same fashion. It begins with a genealogy. It begins cueing us into, y'all, it matters who we come from because ultimately who we come from is from God himself. Now, look, I've done as much genealogy searching as I can do. I got some family members, it claims, I don't know how accurate it is, but it claims I got one or two family members back to the, about the 1400s, y'all. I've done been nosy and figured out I got some all the way back to then. But the problem is the trail eventually grows cold and I'm left wondering, who am I? Who do I know that I am? But it was different for them. They knew who they were. It was preserved unto them who they were. And beloved, if you know who you are, you know how you're supposed to act differently. One of my favorite pastors, Herschel York, he often says this about his father who was also a pastor before him. But he often says of his father, it would charge him as Herschel was leaving the door. He said, Herschel, remember who you are and remember who you belong to. And that was always the charge that his father gave him. Remember who you are and remember who you belong to. And beloved, I don't know, there's something about this, seeing the genealogies in the book of Genesis and knowing that the first likely audience of the book of Genesis was these children that were about to go into the promised land. It seems to be that maybe God is cueing them on, remember who you are and remember who you belong to. Because there's this problem that even as we're reading the book of Genesis, again, we're, we're focusing in on that and saying, okay, who is the primary audience? So we've nailed that down. But if we've understood who is the primary audience, we've got to begin to ask the question, what is the purpose of this book? What is this overhaul teaching us? Because here we see that God is creator. I mean, one of my favorite stories, and we'll dig into it hopefully in another Sunday, but is the fact how there's light by the second day, yet there's no lights in the sky. It is clearly daylight and dark, and yet he hasn't even created what there is to be daylight and dark. So something is cueing me into that the world is not in control of everything, that God is in control of the world and that he is the creator and that he himself is the presence and the manifestation of what happens. Just because the world works a certain way doesn't mean God is confined to himself working that certain way. Beloved, I believe in science. I'm not afraid of science. It has never once scared me. Me and Miss Tara were having a good conversation last night about something that science, I think it was last night, something that science has changed on, that science used to have this position, but now it's got this position. It was neat to me because it was a story about her mother was taught something in nursing school in a certain fashion, but how afterwards, and it was about knuckles and all this and popping your knuckles and what the effects of it does. And it's funny because when she was in nursing school, what was that in the 90s? That she was in the 80s and the 90s when she was in nursing school and that just a few decades later, not even the understanding of it has changed. Beloved, that's the thing about science. It's ever unfolding. It's ever showing us something new. But what we come to the understanding is, even from understanding this, if I were to look at day two of the creation 
and say there's day and there's night, there's got to be some source of light. If I'm going to see in the daytime, the sun's got to be out. Yes, it may be cloudy, but still, if the sun wasn't, if we weren't in the right positioning, we wouldn't even be seeing all this light outside. It would just be dark. And even at night, if the clouds are not present, we often see stars. We see the rest of them. We see that God has created all of these different lights. But on day two of creation, God seems to be over science. You and I know there's got to be a light source. You and I know that if the lights are going to stay on in this building, there's got to be some electrical supply and that electricity has got to be coming from somewhere. We know all of these things. We know that science matters. We're not denying science. Yet what we're able to understand clearly is here from the book of Genesis is God's greater than all of that. The children of Israel were about to go into the promised land and they had already received reports. The only reason that they're, in the, that they're in the wilderness instead of being in the promised land is because they sent some spies over into there and they said, y'all, we can't take them. There's giants over there and we can't take them. We're afraid of the giants. God just led you out from Egypt. God just got you past Pharaoh himself, one of the greatest militant leaders that we had record of at that point. And God just brought you out of that and you're afraid of some tall people over there. You're afraid of some people that might be bigger than you. You serve the living God himself, and yet you're afraid of who might be on the other side. Beloved, that should humble us down. Is that the truth about this book is, I don't understand everything. The truth about the book of Genesis is, I don't understand how it all works. And I'll be frank with you, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, I'm left with a lot of questions. I'm like, God, that's just making my head hurt. There's a lot in this book that I don't necessarily understand. But God's using it to draw our attention to something. Is God trying to make sure that he's given us a science book? I don't think exactly that Genesis is meant to be our science book. I don't think that's exactly what he's ever. Are you saying you deny any of these things? No, I'm not saying I deny any of these things is true. I believe that every single one of these things is true. But beloved, not, let us not forget that there's a purpose in the writing. And that the purpose of the writing is leading us to understand something. One thing that I grew up in, in a culture of sometimes we could dig so minutely into the tiniest of things in here and, and divide hairs over one single thing in here so much so that we wouldn't get the greater picture. Beloved, I hope you spend your lifetime studying the book of Genesis. It's absolutely one of my favorite books. I've spent more time in the book of Genesis, especially in the first three chapters, trying to understand those chapters than I likely have any other book in the Bible. I love it. I eat, sleep, and breathe it, but it's got a point. Is that God is the creator. And we know that from chapters 1 and 2. But as much as we know that from chapters 1 and 2, we immediately begin to see what happens in chapter 3. As good of a God as he is, he's declared everything to be good. There's everything in good. Did you notice the repetition of that? It said it was good. It was good. It was good. I don't know about y'all, but I couldn't help but to kind of focus in on how he kept saying it was good. Do you notice the author didn't say it is good? Do you notice that the Holy Spirit working through Moses himself, he never once said that it is good. He said that it, it was good. So that's telling me that if it was good, immediately, even in my hearing of it, I should begin to pick up on the reality that it once was good. But something about it has changed. I'm listening to that and I'm seeing the great creative powers of God. I'm seeing this great imagery of God. And yet I know something bad happens in the scene. I know something bad has happened about chapter 3. We get into it and we see that Adam and Eve, Adam's doing all of these things. Adam's exercising his dominion. He, God had told him, he said, Adam, you're going to have dominion over all these things. And that's exactly what Adam is doing. He's naming all the animals. He's naming all these different things. He's creating. Adam was the first scientist, if you'll believe it or not. He was the first one to understand things. He was the first things to look at things and say that needs a name. Adam was a man that knew that order needed to be had even in the Garden of Eden that God had given him dominion to subdue it, to keep it, to do all of these different things. I love that from the very beginning that God always meant us to be workers. 
That song, I want to be a worker for my Lord, that ought to still matter to us. But there has never once been created that we would just be a people of leisure and a people of rest. I believe it was maybe in 2002, sometime in the early 2000s, John Piper was at a certain conference and kind of a lighter conference for the most part. And if you've ever listened to John Piper, he's just not a light preacher. It's just not what he does. He's a great preacher. He's got a great mind. He's circular. He's always circling back to all of these things. But John Piper in 2002, I can't even remember the actual name of the sermon. Everybody knows it by the seashells. You can actually Google John Piper seashell sermon and it will still bring up the seashell sermon because he told the story. He told the story of two people that had retired, of a couple that had retired and then moved down to Florida and sold everything they had, bought a place down in Florida. And all that they spent their days doing was collecting seashells. He said, do you really want to waste your life just collecting seashells? He said, at the end of your life, is that all that you want to be doing? He said, no, that your life has a purpose. And he challenged the generation in 2002 and it made a large difference with a lot of people. But beloved, from the very beginning, we're not meant to be mere creatures of leisure. Creatures of rest, yes. Creatures of leisure, no. There is supposed to be rest from the work. Not that there is never any work. Seems to be a society so many times that, I don't know, it seems to be a changing culture that we come out of World War II and it was a country that needed to help supply to a lot of other people. There was different policies enacted and the United States had to get busy so that we could help repair Europe, so that we could help repair other countries that had been damaged in World War II. And for a very long time, it seemed to be that America were an intensely hardworking people. And even people from other countries will talk about the United States and say it's amazing how hardworking they are. And there are certain sects of the culture today that are insanely hardworking people. And I praise God for those hardworking people. I've got two men in my life, three men in my life actually here today, that I know pretty well. I know I've learned of a fourth one. And all the men that are gathered in this building, the four men apart from myself, I know them to be extremely hard workers. I know them to be people that are putting in overtime workers. And beloved, to you four men, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to giving an example to the rest of this world. I want to give an admonition, don't forget the rest. But I do want to give that, give that thanks to you all. And I want to give that thanks to you all, to every lady who also was called. I just bring in the man into the picture because in the story that I'm relating to in the 1940s, they seemed to keep women out of most of the factories. And I said, y'all go back home. And we don't need y'all anymore. But there was a problem. They had tasted what work was, and they had to get back into the workforce. And there was this entire story, and it amazes me that when people actually get a taste of what work is and what work in that capacity is, there's no problem at all with somebody that is a homemaker. I support that. That is a wonderful and a great and a wonderful calling in and of itself. I have no problem with women being in the workforce. You may want to crucify me for that afterwards. I have absolutely zero problem with it. One will say there are some jobs that we're made different for. I'm not supposed to be going and building airplanes. That's my dad. He's the one that gets to go build airplanes. I sure do like law, but I've not done the quizzes. I've not done the testing. I've not done all that. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not admitted to the bar. I'm going to have to let my brother do that job. Let me go through the rest of your jobs. As much as I love accounting, I can't do that job. As much as I love cleaning, I'm not a good cleaner. As much as I want to do all of these different things, beloved, you might have a special work and a special calling in your life. There's nothing wrong with specialization. There's nothing wrong in this world with working and working hard. Don't let it control all of who you are, but let it be a part of who you are. Beloved, he never meant for us to be a people that didn't work. He always designed it that we would be a people that have a purpose, that have a mission, that have something that you and I are working on. If you and I have nothing that we're working on, something's wrong in our life. Something is off kilter. And Adam, what happens to him, as you well know, the temptation comes into the Garden of Eden. The serpent is the most subtle of all the beasts in the field. It amazes to me that he's walking. Clearly, you and I know that even from after the curse, we know that a snake 
as it was, the serpent is supposed to be crawling on the ground, withering and moving and all of these things. And if I see it, I'm running. If I see one that's crawling on the ground, I'm getting away from that snake as soon as I possibly can. If one was walking up to me, I don't know what was wrong with these that day. I would have been running as fast as I could. But it was also the most subtle of all the creatures that God had made. Something tells me it's crafty enough to be persuaded that it's okay. To be persuaded that something that you and I know to back off from, oh, that's nothing but a little garden snake. You'll be fine. I don't care. It's a snake. I'm getting away from that thing. I don't care what kind of snake it is. Every snake's a bad snake when I first see it. Until I'm able to clearly identify what it is, it's a bad snake. I admit some of them do some good, but a lot of them do a whole lot of bad. Beloved, we need to be careful what's in the world. We need to be careful what we welcome into our presence. Not everything in this world should be welcome into our presence. Some of the things need to be pushed against. Some of the th some of the content that's out there in our lives needs to be pushed against. You say, well, it's not sinful content. It might lead you down a bad road. It might not be cause you to sin right now, but it might be something that works in your life and subtly causes you to sin. It might be something in your life that subtly causes you to begin to question the goodness of God. And that's exactly what the serpent did. The serpent ultimately makes them question the goodness of God himself and say, is God really good? And of course, you know the rest of the story. They sin against God. She partakes of the fruit. And Adam, God calls Adam into question first. He doesn't call into question the serpent first. He doesn't call into question Eve first. He calls into question Adam first. Do you remember who he gave the command to first? He gave the command to Adam first. Adam was the third person in this order of what happened, but he was the first in order of who should have been there and who should have been standing up and doing what Adam was supposed to do. Beloved, when God has told us something clearly to do through his word, you and I have a responsibility to stand on it and to keep standing on it. We don't get to waver from it. Won't go into all the details. We'll cover it later, but Adam should have stood up. Even if Eve had partaken of the fruit, Adam should have taken and not have partaken in the fruit. Truly, Adam should have actually been the leader of his household, the head of his house, even in that sense, and have prevented Eve from partaking in that fruit. Not because he's domineering over her and ruling over her and making her obey in some sense, but because Adam is caring for her. The problem that Adam has is he's not even caring for his own wife. He's not caring for the Garden of Eden. That serpent probably needed to be kicked out somehow. He needed to subdue it. He needed to have dominion over it. And instead, what Adam does, instead of submitting himself unto God and having dominion over the things of this earth, he submitted to the things of this earth and acted as if he had dominion over God. In the very first few chapters of the book of Genesis, the entire story has been reversed. And sin has entered in. And Eve is not going to be able to conceive without pain now, with pain and with great burden is going to be conception. Adam, when he's working, he's going to have to be working by the sweat of his brow. It's no longer going to be easy for him to do it. Even the serpent results in a cursing. But praise God that even the serpent was cursed because God also gives us what is called the proto-euangelion. That's just a fancy $7 word or $10 word, however you want to say it, meaning the first promise that God has given us the Garden of Eden in that sense. This is the first promise that there is going to come a seed which is going to crush the head of the serpent. Yes, the serpent is going to bruise his heel, but yes, the serpent's head is going to be crushed by the seed that he's talking to with Eve over here. I praise God for chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. I mentioned this a few weeks ago in one of the Psalms that we were in, but I praise God for this because this tells me something. If I'm the children of Israel, in the wilderness, I'm really worried. I'm really worried because I know where we're supposed to be headed, but I know we're in the wilderness. I'm looking at this and saying, God, we done messed up. I don't know about y'all. Have you ever had to look up to God and say, God, I done messed up? 
You ever had to look at somebody else in your life and say, look, I've been messed up? You know the worst thing I hate to do on my job? Is to go to my boss and say, look, I messed this up. I can't stand it. Everything in me wants to be like Adam and Eve when they took and hid themselves from the presence of God. That's what I want to do. Now, y'all, I've been a believer in Christ for a very long time, and I've learned how to kind of press that down and subdue that. I've had to learn how to have dominion over that impulse, but i got to admit that impulse is still there. Y'all have heard me tell you I broke one of Mama's columns. And in my infinite little eight-year-old or however old wisdom, I thought, well, if I broke the column, I'll just go hide the column, and Mama and Daddy will never see the column. Problem is, I was lazy, and I only hit it a little bit of the way. I only hit it right there so that if Dad just happened to go back behind the house, all he'd have to do is look under the porch and he'd see that it was right there. It was a gaping hole for him to be able to see. I thought that I had it hidden. I wasn't thinking about my father going back there. I thought my father was only looking at certain areas of the house. I didn't think about him looking behind the house. Beloved, when I realize that God sees all things, God knows all things, it changes my response to sin. When I know that God can see me from the very beginning, that when God called out to Adam and said, wherefore art thou? When he says, where are you, Adam? And he comes walking out to him. I know that God says that unto us. Love it, I'm going back to the fact that the children of Israel are the first primary audience of this book. All of a sudden, what should make me deathly terrified, deathly afraid, is giving me some measure of hope. All of a sudden, I know that in the first generation, and the first two people that God ever created, they've done messed up. All of a sudden, I don't feel so bad about messing up. Because of what He does. Because He takes and He clothes them in skin. And He does. He casts them out of the garden. But beloved, He's still caring for them. And He's still blessing unto them. And it says in, verse, uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, there's a lot of problems with that statement that she makes. There's a lot of problems we'll get into a little bit later on, even with that. But even still, in chapter 4, after they've been kicked out of the garden of Eden, they know that God is still being good to them. They know that, yes, even though they question the goodness of God, they're now seeing Him and knowing that He is the one that is the provider. But the problem in chapter 4 is we get into the second generation. And what does the second generation do? They begin killing one another. Do you mean to tell me we can't even get four people on this earth and one of them not kill somebody else? Do you all think that the problems in the cities are going to be fixed tomorrow? Do you think that if we just eliminate all of this problem and all of that problem, that all of a sudden nobody's going to kill anybody? Do you know I don't know a bit of scarcity? And look, beloved, I believe we ought to try to help, fix every bit of poverty there is. I think that poverty ought to be eradicated. I think we live in the richest country in the world. I think we, of all people, ought to be able to have to figure out and fix poverty. I think that the CCC is working on poverty right now in the Harrelson County. They're making sure that people have food. Maybe we need to step up. Maybe we need to work with them a little bit more and make sure that people in our own county have food. There is something to be said for that. But, beloved, you can't tell me that even eliminating all the poverty is going to keep everybody from killing everybody. They had everything that they could ever think of in chapter 4. And yet, Cain got upset with his brother. And Cain ultimately got upset with his brother because of what God did. Now, people argue that it was because it was a blood sacrifice of Abel, and that's why God accepted it, and they didn't accept it on Cain. All I got to say to that is, I don't see where God came, told Cain what kind of sacrifice it had to be. I just don't see it in the Bible. You might find it for me, but I, I, I don't find it here in the book of Genesis where he told Cain what kind of sacrifice to bring. But I see the reality that God's the boss, and this is God's book, as that one preacher said. 
You know, that if God doesn't have respect to Cain's offering, God just doesn't have respect to Cain's offering. Beloved, as much as I might want to argue, well, this is right and this is wrong. No, God's in charge. When God says something's right and God says something is wrong, that's what's right. That's what's wrong. Not what Cain says what's right and what's wrong. Cain messes up. Cain kills his brother Abel. And then Cain just becomes whiny. I can't believe how whiny Cain instantly gets. He says, God, if you kick me out, they're all going to murder me. I'm like, well, you can only be murdered one time, can't you? What do you mean everybody's going to kill you? Everybody's going to slay you? Cain, what kind of problem are you having just thinking about this? It's amazing to me to see how Cain, when he, God asked him, he said, where is your brother? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? Do you see the problem with sin is I want to pass the book. I don't want to blame my parents for everything that's wrong in my life. The whole problem is I had great parents. I, had really, I didn't have perfect parents. I had great parents. And the problem is I knew that they weren't perfect. Do y'all know I can't blame anything on my parents? There's no problem in my life that I can blame on my parents. I still love them. I still enjoy the relationship that I have with them. And did they do everything right? If Tara and I are blessed to have children in our life, am I going to do every single thing the same way that mom and daddy did? Probably just not because we, that's the way we do. You were different from your parents. You raised your children different than what your parents raised you. That's just the way it is. But you're not going to hear me say that Paul and Sonia are the problem of my life. I'm not going to pass the buck to them because y'all what I found out is I'm the guilty one now. They didn't break the column. Well, if mama hadn't put that column down there at the end of the porch, Zachary wouldn't have been rambunctious and knocked it over. That's what I could say. And probably as an eight-year-old boy, that's probably something I did say. I probably did try to blame her. But now that I'm looking back on the story, I know that it wasn't mama's fault that the column got broke. It was nothing but my fault. I should have been more careful. I should have been watching what I was doing. Love, there's something in us that we don't want to take responsibility for. There's something in us that's comforting me in this passage of, not only did the first generation mess up and God was still kind and gracious to them, the second generation messed up and God was still kind and gracious to them. Do you know that God gave Eve another offspring? Because clearly, was it the seed of Abel? Was it supposed to be the seed of Abel that was supposed to be the one that crushed the head of the serpent? Well, clearly not. That didn't work out. We've been given that promise in chapter 3, but it didn't bear out with Abel, and we know it's not bearing out with Cain, but is it going to be Seth that brings it in? Is it going to be through the lineage of Seth that it breaks it in? Praise God for this genealogy that we see. Y'all, the story is continuing in chapter 5. If we pick up on anything, is God, even though sin has entered into this world, God is continuing to be with his people. And God is continuing to be the good God that he is. But we know that when he brings no end to it, that the thoughts of men are on evil continually. And we know that God's going to destroy the rest of the world for sin. This is what I call the nearly new creation the nearly new creation is that with noah over here he brings him in and he just picks noah noah found favor in the eyes of the lord i don't know why noah found our favor in the eyes of the lord all i know is that noah found favor in the eyes of the lord i don't know why i was born again i don't know why god came knocking on my door that night i don't know why god was so sweetly drawing me that night i don't know why god got me to repent and trust in him i don't know why god did all those things but he did I'll be honest with you. I love every one of you that's in this building. I can honestly say that without reservation. I don't know why God saved you if he saved you. Because to be truthful of you, I know you well enough to know none of us are deserving of it. And yet Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he picked Noah. And he picked Noah's family. And he preserved them. And he brought them through. He did destroy the rest of the world with water at that point. But then he puts a bow in the cloud. And he says, when I look upon the bow, I will remember. And when I see the bow, I'm not going to destroy him by water again. There is another promise that is given unto him. 
And then he begins to exercise under Noah. And he said, Noah, look, if anybody slays another man, that life needs to be taken. The problem with crime that's happening is crime needs to be addressed. You're never going to hear me say that crime doesn't need to be addressed. We need to be careful how we handle crime. I sure am thankful for defense attorneys. I sure am thankful that if I get falsely accused, I got somebody to represent me. I keep him on retainer. I don't even pay him a dime. Sure like my defense lawyer. Sure do love him. But beloved, I sure am thankful that somebody else has stood in my defense too. As wonderful of a lawyer as he is, I'm sure thankful for the greatest lawyer there's ever been. I'm thankful for the greatest one that's ever been the defender. I'm thankful also that there was prosecution for wrong. Because when a family has been wrong, when the life of another has been taken, the love of God says that the life of the one that took the life should be taken. That's what the Bible says, not me. I wrestle with that passage. I do. I've had a lot of wrestlings with that. I've had a lot of good men in my life that think differently than what I do. I've got a lot of men in my life that think like I do. And yeah, I'll just tell you, I wrestle with these things. Beloved, there are some things in this Bible that are not easy to deal with. If I'm the children of Israel in the land of the wilderness, I'm having to deal with things that I don't like dealing with. I'm having to deal with reality that he's letting an entire generation pass away before he's going to let us go into the promised land. I'm having to deal with so much death. I'm having to deal with so much destruction because even Noah, as soon as he preserves it, as soon as he makes it through the flood and the waters abate and all of this, and God makes the covenant with Noah in chapter 9, as sure as he does all of this, and as sure as he gives Noah dominion over all these things, Noah goes and becomes a husband. He becomes a wine, he becomes a vine keeper, and he makes a bunch of wine, and he winds up drunk. Beloved, as soon as God fixes the things that are wrong with the world, do y'all see what happens? It was the very one that found favor in his eyes that causes sin to be a problem, even in the nearly new creation. They messed up again. But again, if I'm the children of Israel, can I tell you one more time? This is comforting me. Because he didn't wipe Noah off the face of the earth. Maybe he should have. Maybe he should have wiped Noah off the face of the earth. And even one of Noah's son. I don't understand everything that happened there. There's some weird things that happened down there that I'm not quite so sure about. And what happens there still comes into play that even one of Noah's sons sins against Noah. And yet God doesn't wipe the rest of them out. Beloved, there are generations that have sinned. In every generation of humanity that there has ever been, there has been sin. God created the world, and the world immediately entered into sin. God nearly created a new world over there when he preserved Noah, and he got rest of the rid of them, and yet they immediately sinned against God again. And then by the time that you get through chapter 10, when we've got the generation of the sons of Noah, when you get into chapter 11, before you get into the rest of the genealogies, the first half of chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel, to where he just wiped down all of humanity because of their sin. And do you know what happens? In chapter 11, they're sinning against God again. Y'all, this problem, this world's got a sin problem. You and I got a sin problem. And some people want to say that's a bad thing to put on somebody. Can I tell you I'm so thankful that I figured out I got a sin problem? Can I tell you that I'm with Noah or that I'm with Paul over there where he said he thanked God for the law because if it hadn't been for the law, he never would have knew that he stood condemned. He never would have knew these people in the Tower of Babel would get into it. They begin to build towers unto God, trying to reach up to God themselves. But they didn't pay attention to history, did they? Do you notice that in chapter 3 that it was God that came walking in the cool of the evening? Do you notice that in chapter 4 it was God that came to Cain? Do you notice that it was God that came to Noah? Do you notice that it was always God that was coming to the people instead of the people coming to God? Do you realize that you and I are incapable of coming to God? And yet He's the one that descends to us and comes to us? If I'm understanding anything, 
from the book of Genesis in chapters 1 through 11. I'm understanding he's the God that comes to us. If I'm the children of Israel hearing this for the first time, they're shouting within my soul for me to know that he's not the God that I've got to ascend to. He's the God that descends down to me. He's the God that's given me his law. He's the God that's just passed down the Ten Commandments to them. And he's giving them the rest of the law. He's the God that is doing this for my good and for his glory. Beloved, if we're to understand the book of Genesis, we've got to understand. We may want to dig into it and use it as a science book. And again, I'm not saying anything in there is wrong. I don't think anything in there is wrong. But I may misunderstand it. But if I can tell you I understand one thing about the book of Genesis is God's the creator. God's the one that's in control. And God is good to his people. He does deal with sin. But he's still good to his people. I wonder this morning, do you know him to be good in your life? Or do you question him to be good in your life? The one that's never been born again, you've never looked to God and seen that he is good. You've never looked to God and seen him for the good that he is. There's going to have to be repentance because as you see in the book of Genesis, God continually dwells with sin. God does not let sin persist. It goes on for a long time. But in the end, he will deal with sin. In the end of it all, sin will have to be dealt with. If you find yourself not in Christ, there will ultimately be an eternity that's been in a lake of fire. You say, that's a harsh charge, I know. It still scares me to this day. But beloved, I'm more assured by the promises of God. I'm standing on the promises of God. I know that he's invited me in. I know that he's made me my, his. But do you know what? I keep seeing that it's God's people that keep messing up. If you've never been born again, clearly you just don't care about this. I, I can't do much with an unbeliever. But you know what I find the biggest problems to be? It seems to be us believers. It's the problem that we question the goodness of God in our lives. We question, is God really good? Again, I know I've harped on it. Let me harp on it again. The children of Israel had just been brought out of Egypt. The children of Israel had just been freed from Pharaoh himself. And yet when they looked at the promised land, they said, there's giants in there and we don't think God's going to take care of them. Beloved, the battles that are behind us, we know that God's in front of us. But it always seems to be the battles that are in front of us, we don't know if God's going to take care of them. God has never once failed his youngins. His youngins have failed him time and time again. But God has never once failed his young ones. Despite the pattern of sin, God is continually descending down to man and continually bringing man to himself. I wonder this morning, is God pulling man to himself again? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this blessed truth of your book. We pray that you be with us as we work through the book of Genesis together, O God. Father, may we learn it well. May we learn it rightfully, O God. Father, but we pray that it would not only be something that we just contain to ourselves, but God, may we take the message forth of it and proclaim it to the rest of the world. Proclaim your goodness to the rest of the world. That all of us, God, we can come and trust in you and you alone, oh God. Lord, we live in a broken and a fallen world, but I sure am thankful that you're still the one that's in charge. God, I pray that we'd be able to tell somebody else of these things as well. Please, all and ask it all in thy son, Jesus Christ, in holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen.